And welcome back. It is mind-blowing to kind of really accept is really the word I was looking for, because you have to accept and say, you know, this isn't some heady conversation about what we do about transit. Transit, like a lot of things, is not going to be the same. You know, we have to accept the fact of a story that if this happened, this is another one of these. If I told you there were going to be massive cuts or even any cuts to TTC service across the board, we would have been talking about it for days and weeks and why and how could it happen an end of life as we know it in the city. Well, now it is a reality. There's going to be some historic TTC service cuts coming. Joining us is Steve Monroe, who's an author and a Toronto transit advocate. Steve Monroe, welcome. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. It is strange. How do you, how do you feel about this? I mean, focused on transit, and here we are hearing about cuts because there's a pandemic, and people can't really be elbow to elbow in most situations. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because. It's not that long ago we were talking about how the transit system was completely overloaded uh-huh. and what the best new line to build and where it should be <laughs> and all that sort of thing. And it, it seems like a very distant memory now. Uh, now the issue is uh, what is the role of transit and how can the TTC survive in an era um, when people just don't want to be in crowds? They don't want to be in crowds. People are working from home. We we know we're seeing some. I, I, one of our banks, I think, was announcing that they were going to let people have this blended workplace. So all the things, as you so rightly said, that we were discussing, how can we possibly, the whole city cannot continue to be a world-class city if we don't do something with the transit. And now there's been a solution. However, is it the right solution? And what does it mean for the service here? Well, um, it's kind of a, well, it's maybe two or three part thing. The first is, of course, that there are service cuts coming this uh, this Sunday, mm-hmm. although actually the weekend service isn't affected much. It's, it's Monday that the, that the change will really be visible. Uh, the two main subway lines will run uh, less often in the rush hour. And a lot of routes, basically the, the term rush hour, <laughs> as anybody who drives around the city will, will know or just walks out and looks on the street, Rush hour? What's that? Um, and so mm-hmm. the the service that that peak service that we're used to seeing won't be there to the same degree. Now, having said that, uh, there's also some cuts coming in the off peak. Uh, it varies from route to route. Um, the TTC has actually done a lot in terms of uh, taking advantage of the fact that there's less traffic, and so buses and streetcars can run faster than they used to. Uh, and so you don't need as many of them to provide a service. You know, like I say, you're running every 10 minutes because you can get down the route faster. You don't need as many buses to do a round trip as you used to. So they've offset some of the uh, of what would otherwise be deeper cuts by being able to run vehicles faster. Now, what that does is it allows them to uh, to handle the level of demand that they've got right now, basically for essential workers and people doing you know like short shopping trips and, and that. The, the $300,000 a day, which compares to $1.8 million on a normal day, who are using the transit system and allowing for extra space. 
The problem will be we'll come to a point where more people will need to travel, so as as businesses start up again, uh, and when we get to the point that schools start up again, uh, and yet people will still be very leery about traveling on on a crowded service, and and really the problem is how do you run um, you know a, a service with lots of room for everyone when the demand goes back up, and that's a huge challenge the TTC will face maybe as soon as fall. It is. And will the demand be there in the same way? Because let's face it, you know, we know density spreads this virus. We're looking at long-term care homes. We're looking at meatpacking. Well, working in a meatpacking facility probably has a few things in common. (laughs) You know where I'm going. I mean, I, I... it's Except just we don't true. Passengers in plastic. You've got it. Girl. You've got it. You know, you're elbow to elbow. You're putting your hands on stuff that people yep. have had their hands on. I mean, it is incredible. And I was reading this article about the risk in our life now if this pandemic is around. Well, just imagine you're in that crowded space. And they had, you know, kind of pictures of the aerosol factor if even one person in that streetcar is a asymptomatic spreader. I mean, I don't want to be a doomsday person, but this is going to go through my mind when I walk on that car if I do. But then the, the flip side of this, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting uh, when you listen to the way people talk about sort of travel pre and post pandemic um, Toronto, uh, like many large cities in North America and certainly cities in Europe and Asia, uh, Toronto has a much higher usage of transit or historically has had a much higher usage of transit than um, a lot of other parts of Canada and certainly a lot of parts of the United States. So when when you look at a city like Toronto, where you, you have people who don't own cars or don't you know, they may have one car for the family, but they've got two or three people who need to travel. And the the whole city and the region is organized around the idea that a lot of travel can be done using a transit system. And the alternative of having multiple cars, you know, first of all, you've got to afford it. Secondly, you have to have some place to put them mm-hmm. <laughs> at home and, and when you get to wherever you're going. And um uh, I made a comment in something I wrote recently where, you know, all those people who who sort of fondly remember the parking lots downtown, those parking lots all have condos on them now. And and it's not like we can just kind of flip a switch and create parking out of thin air at people's destination. So it really fundamentally changes. Um, uh, if people are going to start driving more, it's going to increase their cost because they're going to have to have a car or they're simply mm-hmm. not going to be able to get to where they need to go. And that's a, that's a big issue for a large chunk of the population. And never mind the workers, you know, they're working in certain, you know, we're in an enclosed box. We look yeah. at it in an airplane, you know, we might not be there for five hours. Mm-hmm. But that aerosol factor for the workers as well and their safety, oh, would yeah. it be fair to say, Steve, everything's just kind of blown up and we don't know where it's going to go? Yeah, I, I don't think... It's too soon to get a sense of what's happening. Uh, and, I mean, say for the sake of argument, I'm, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, I'm not as as bullish on things being fixed soon as Donald Trump is, for example. Mm-hmm. Say for the sake of argument, sometime later this year, there is a successful way to reduce the danger and exposure, yeah. of, uh, you know, like a vaccine, mm-hmm. or some, you know, something happens to, to change things soon. Okay, so that that means we can start to think about getting back to you know whatever normal is going to look like 
in a reasonably short time. But if this lasts longer, like into the winter, for example, where, for me, a simple example, in, in the spring, summer, and fall, there's there's walking trips or cycling trips you can make. They're not going to be very viable in January. So uh, the the whole dynamic of, of the absence of a transit system is much different if this goes on for an extended period. Is it a crisis? Because as you lay it out, it's very true. We've got one side, we've got a pandemic, and there's things that we can do to reduce the risk. On the other hand, our whole city functions around the availability of transit. And we know, we just started this interview by saying, look, you know, a few months ago, this was about we need more, we need to move people. But it's, can the city work without transit? Probably not. So certainly certainly not the way it has traditionally. Uh, Now, I mean, just I'm going to take one step back. And it's important to, I mean, it's important to recognize that transit, while it's an important part of the city, transit isn't the only thing where there are going to be big changes. Uh, You know, we've seen the the, all issues in health care, in long-term care, and and this is another issue affecting transit is that even when we sort of come out the other end, or even as we're going through this, there are huge demands on the public purse for, you know, better funding for health care and long-term care. There may be changes in the funding required for education, depending on you know space requires for classrooms and staff to student ratio, that kind of thing. And it's not as if transit is the only thing that we have that is going to be clamoring for public money, let alone all of the calls that there are for uh, wage support and for help for businesses to get back on their feet again. So you know transit. It's going to be you know, one of several areas of the economy where, where people are going to have their hand out saying, please, sir, I want some more, and they may not get it because we simply won't have enough money to go around. And that's really a long-term danger for the transit system is that we won't be able to rebuild it or maybe even sustain it over that length of time. All right, final quick question. Steve, what are you thinking? I mean, you just what are you doing? I mean, you're a, a Toronto <laughs> transit advocate. What are you just waiting here? And Well, um, partly I'm just <laughs> waiting. You know, I mean, there are, there's, yeah. occasional, there's occasional news to cover, such as the, uh, the service cuts that are coming. Um, and, you know, I made a point of, of sort of peeling them apart in a lot more detail than the material the TTC itself has published so far. But I'm working from, from TTC materials. It's just, you know, they've, they've put out internal reports with the details, but it's not the kind of thing you can write a nice, pithy 300-word article in the corner of a newspaper page or on a blog post. There's a lot of detail there. And it's a much, you know, the term, hist- I used the term historic, and so did the star in the article that they ran. Yeah. The, uh, um, the Typically, we get a big, sur- I shouldn't say big, but a, a service cut that affects many routes in the system in May and in June because of summer. Uh, that's and it's because you know the university closed, uh, all the the elementary and secondary schools closed, and people are on vacation, and that usually amounts to maybe four or five percent cut across the system as a whole in level of service, and some of that gets actually offset by additional service to deal with construction delays, whereas this time around we're looking at about a fifteen percent cut, so you know. 
three or four times as much service being cut out of the system across the board. Uh, so it's and it's, as I say, it's not evenly distributed because there are places where the service stays the same. And there's other places where the service takes more of a hit. Oh, I can see the articles. They're writing themselves. People, <laughs> I used to take the route and now I have to do it. So, oh gosh, yeah. Steve Monroe, thank you for joining us. Steve. I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but <laughs> these are well, difficult times. Yeah. It's the truth. we got to deal with it. Steve, thank you. You have a good day. Thank you. All right.